Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on page 30, middle paragraph, Baruch Sha'amar. This formally starts a new section of prayer, or technically we started it last week with the, pre the previous two-liner. But davening has sections. If you look back in history, our patriarch Yaakov, Jacob, was running away from his brother Esav, going to his uncle Lavan's house, and he stops on the way to pray. Right? And he falls asleep. He actually fell asleep, then he prayed. But he had a dream. Do you know the, the famous Jacob's dream, right? Jacob's ladder. Yeah. Wait, what is the dream that Yaakov had? There was this ladder. Behold, there is this ladder. It's positioned on the ground and it's reaching toward the heaven. There are angels going up. There are angels going down. Right? Rashi asks, wait a minute, shouldn't the angels come down then up? <laughs> Where did they come from? Okay, separate questions, separate, separate discussion. But the Zohar says that this is actually um, used euphemistically to understand the structure of prayer. The Zohar uses that term, but biblical verse, to understand prayer. Prayer is like that ladder positioned on the earth, reaching toward the heavens, and throughout the process of prayer, we are advancing in our spiritual connection. We're advancing in our awareness of the soul, at least ideally. We're at, should be, right? We're advancing in our appreciation of God and how we internalize God and how we think of God and how we think of people. And as we progress through the sitter, each prayer is getting us closer and closer. This is a journey toward our best self. And there are four main sections, four main rungs on this ladder. Between those rungs, there's other rungs as well. But from Moda'ani until here is one main section. And the general theme is conceding to God. Conceding that God is conceding to God's reality. We may not appreciate it conceptually or even emotionally, but we still concede to it because in our heart of hearts, we know this is the reality. That's the moda'ani, I concede. In fact, we concede before even saying I. We don't say ani moda, I concede, concede I. Mm -hmm. That's the hodu, la Hashem kiru vishmo. Praise God, thank God. Concede to God, right back on page 27. But now we move on with the start of Baruch Sha'amar to a new section. This new section is referred to as Pesukei de Zimra. You see that on top there. It says in the headline there, Pesukei de Zimra. Yeah. Verses of praise. And up until page 38, we are going to be reciting various Verses of praise throughout Tanakh, primarily Tehillim, but a little bit from the Torah as well. And by the way, the, the way it works is the structure is the verses of praise start with a blessing. That's the Baruch Sha'amar blessing. Starts with a blessing praising God. It ends with a blessing praising God. That's the Yishtabach on page 38. And sandwiched between those two blessings, so 
basically eight pages, are various verses. A big chunk of it are the last several chapters of Tehillim, and then a little bit throughout the Torah, as we'll soon see. And we're going to discuss the role over here. But before we discuss the role of each prayer and of each blessing and of each of each verse, let's take a step back here. Why does God need to be praised? I remember when I was serving as a chaplain at Cedar Center Medical Center. So they were giving us like a um, kind of like a training. Could have used a little bit more training. They <laughs> throw in a 22-year-old into <laughs> somebody suffering. 22-year-old who knows that. <laughs> but thank God, it was, it was a beautiful experience. It was really meaningful. And I don't work for Cedars anymore, so I could say what I want. No, I'm kidding. I'm just teasing. <laughs> no, no, it was great. Um, where was I going with this? This is what happens when you switch from Diet Coke to seltzer. <laughs> was ran out of Diet Coke. Okay, so what happened was we had a we had a training, and one thing that the training chaplain said, and I thought this was such a powerful point, is the hospital room is not the time or place to defend God. You're in a hospital. People are angry. Right. People are sad. People are suffering. I remember at our um, employee orientation with HR, they told us, be careful in the parking lots. And they were serious because people are in bad moods often at the hospital. They're not doing well. They're visiting sick people. And be careful in the parking lot. Somebody might be angry. Somebody might not be paying attention. So this chaplain who was training us said, people are inevitably are going to be angry at God. This is not the time to defend God. And you have to remember, you're a religious person, remember that God has a healthy self-esteem. He doesn't need your defense. And that line always stuck with me for some reason. I liked it. And then I was thinking, well, wait a minute. God does indeed have a healthy self-esteem. Why does he need our praises? Why am I praising God? We're spending eight pages praising God. And again, the authors, the, the contributors of the Siddur, the compilers of the Siddur, didn't, the, the sages didn't invent the, these praises. These were taken from biblical verses, mainly from King David, the book of Psalms. Why was King David so obsessed with praising God? Why does God need these praises? And the answer is, it's not that we need to praise God. It's that we need to praise God. See the difference there? Praising God is not so much about God as much as it is about us appreciating God. And the more you praise something, the more you talk about it, inevitably the more passionate you're going to be about it. That's a form of meditation. Right? There's a framework here to talk about something awesome I mean, awesome, not just in the millennial sense of the word, but in the literal sense of the world as well, word as well. When you talk about something awesome, you are filled with awe. But when we talk about something disturbing at work, it feeds into our, uh, you know, fuels our uh, our frustration. When we talk about God, we talk about the greatness of his, have him as a creator. We begin to appreciate that. And the Midrash gives an analogy of somebody comes to a city and they want to assess how strong he is. Maybe he's looking for employment. I don't know. Well, how do you assess how strong he is? You can, how, how do you assess how, how do you assess somebody's strength? Well, look at the weights that they lift. 
if they're holding yarn balls, then they're like an old grandmother, you know? <laughs> if they're lifting 50 pounders, you know that they're strong, that that's what they're capable of. And the Midrash uses this as an analogy to understand how can you possibly measure the greatness of God? Well, you can't. If you can't measure the greatness or even the strength of a human being other than by looking at what he does and then drawing your own conclusion, we certainly can't understand the greatness of God whom we can't even see. But we can draw our own conclusions by appreciating what he does. In one of his uh, books, not in the Tanya, but the author of the Tanya, which, by the way, today in Jewish history, now that we're going on tangents, no, <laughs> today in Jewish history is the uh, 18th of Elul. And as the sun is setting in front of us, or Risa for you, it's said already, it's the 19th of Elul. But the 18th of Elul is the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov, who founded the Hasidic movement. It's the birthday of Rabbi Shneur Zalman, the author of the Tanya, who founded the Chabad movement. And uh, it's a significant part of Elul because what they did was it's the 18th of Elul, 18 is high, they brought life into Elul. Because Elul is about Teshuva and this whole way of life, being soul-oriented, brought extra life into our Teshuva. In one of his other books, not the Tanya, he explains that we all have a soul, but the soul is often referred to as a spark. And he says, why is the soul referred to as a spark? Well, for some people, it's a burning fire. And sometimes for all of us, it's a burning fire. We all have those moments where our soul is like a burning fire. We're just passionate about our Judaism. We love our Judaism. We have conviction. It can't be any other way. There's no talking me out of this. And that radiates. We have those moments. But then we have moments where you don't see that flame. You don't see that passion. And guess what? You're still Jewish. <laughs> Because the spark is still there. So what do you do when there's a spark and you want that spark to expand into a flame? What do we do when we go camping? We fan it. Got to fan that spark. That's the verses of praise. That's the sitter in general. Why do I need to praise God? I need to fan that spark. My soul has to remember its creator, its maker, its father in heaven. And as we praise God, we're fanning that spark. So pre-sitter. Pre-sitter and post-sitter, right? Pre-sitter, before I read the sitter, I'm just, I have this spark. I know I'm Jewish. I know I should be valuing this. And I even concede to that. That's everything up until page 30. That's the moda'ani. I concede. But now it's time to actually not just concede that I have that spark. It's now time to actually fan that spark. And we're going to start that with the Baruch Sha'amar. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. Just reading it alone might fan that spark a little bit, but it's not going to fully do it. Right? And that's why we're going through these discussions, because we could understand exactly what's going on and how thinking about this can actually bring meaning and fan that spark. So there's there's a story with the Mezritcher Magid, a Bedov Bear of Mezrich. He was the successor to the Basham Tov. He, as would be expected, was very familiar with the Kabbalistic interpretations and the mystic interpretations of the Siddur. 
As such, he would spend a long time davening and meditating because he understood not just the simple meaning, the literal interpretations, but he understood them on a, on a very deeper paradigm, a deeper realm. And he would spend a long time meditating. And his prayers took him a long time. There was a local business person who was also a very uh, smart person and familiar with the Kabbalistic teachings and interpretations, but he did not pray that. It didn't take him nearly as long to pray. So he went to the Magad of Mezidich and he says, why is it taking you so long to pray? He says, I, well, I'm, I happen to have all these uh, understand the Kabbalistic interpretations and it, you know, it takes time to kind of meditate and go through the experience. He says, I too have uh, understanding and a grasp on the Kabbalistic interpretations, but I'm just, you know, I can simply just say the words. It doesn't take that long. So he says, what do you do? He says, what's your occupation? This is what the Magad responds to him. He says, I'm a business person. I go to the market and I trade. He says, you make a good living? He says, I do, thank God. He says, how do you know? He says, what do you mean? How do you know you're making money? How do you know you're profiting? He says, well, I, I keep an account. I see what my expenses are on my merchandise. I see what I've sold them for. And I, everything's written down. Everything's recorded at the end of the day or at the end of the month or whatever it is. I've kept track and I see that. Thank God I've been blessed. I make money. He says, so you have that accounting. You have a good understanding of your accounting? He says, I do. He says, well, I have an idea for you. I have a life hack. Life hacks are old. They go way back. I have a life hack. Instead of traveling all the way to the marketplace and having to go to work, just stay home and do the accounting at home. He says, yeah, but I have to actually do the business. <laughs> I have to actually put in the work. He says, and that's why prayer takes so long. You could have understanding of the Kabbalistic interpretations, but you got to put in the work. You got to put in the effort. Let's read the entire prayer quickly in English, and then we'll go from there, okay? Sounds good? Okay, before we move forward, any questions, comments, thoughts? Okay, page 30. Blessed is he who spoke and the world came into being. God created the world through speech. Um, contrast, by the way, to the actual soul. That's the only thing that wasn't created through speech. It was created through breath. That's where Tanya explains the contrast between speech and breath. Speech is more external, right off the tongue. Breath comes from much deeper. The soul comes from a deeper place. But God spoke and the world came into being. Blessed is he, blessed is he who says and does. The commentaries explain that for him, speaking and doing are pretty similar. <laughs> blessed is he who decrees and fulfills. And God carries out his word. Blessed is he who creates the universe. Blessed is he who has compassion on the earth. Blessed is he who has compassion on the creatures. Blessed is he who rewards well those who fear him. Blessed is he who lives forever and exists eternally. I mean, that's the definition of emet. God, as we discussed in last week's discussion, God is, was, and will be. Blessed is he who redeems and saves. Blessed is, he, blessed is his name. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, benevolent God, merciful Father, 
who is praised by the mouth of his people, exalted and glorified by the tongue of his pious one and his servants, and by the songs of David your servant, which is what the um, following prayers are going to be, are going to be the praises of David, of King David, through, as we quote Psalms later on, the verses of praise. We will extol you, Lord our God, with praises and songs. Exalt laud. What does laud mean? Okay, I don't know. This is why my Hebrew is better. To, to honor, right? To laud. Laud is to honor. To honor? Okay. To laud. Okay. That's how, that's um, glorify you. Proclaim you king and mention your name, our king, our God. You are the only one. The life of all the worlds, O king. Praised and glorified is his great name forever and ever. Blessed are you, Lord, King, who is extolled with praises. At this point, the congregation says, Amen. We move on. Just to, to note, you'll notice that you'll come up to somebody during prayer sometimes, and they'll you'll say, hey, good morning, and they'll be, ah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. They're not going to actually respond. And the reason is they... Started this blessing. This is a checkpoint where at this point we don't do any unnecessary talking. Because we're officially formally started a blessing and we don't want to make interruptions. Only certain interruptions are permitted. And there's a chart in the back of the sitter that discusses which interruptions are permitted at this point, which aren't. The way back of the sitter, literally the last page, the cover page. Let's take a step back here. Can one truly know the greatness of God? There was a famous poet who authored many of the prayers who said, it, it actually is a Hebrew um, part of the liturgy, and it sounds as good in English as it does in Hebrew. He says, the ultimate knowledge of you, God, is that I cannot know you. How can I know God? So what am I trying to appreciate here? In essence, I'm not really appreciating the greatness of God, but really the appreciate I'm appreciating the greatness of what he does. Which essentially means what he does and who he is are not necessarily the same. Which by the way, that's that's an important life lesson. What you do and who you are are not the same. Right? There's more to us than our occupation. There's more to God than his occupation. And we want to appreciate that. That's depth. And we'll appreciate that depth when we get to the Shema, when we say, Hashem Echad, God, you are one. We'll appreciate that depth even further when we get to the Amida, when we bow to God. And we realize our dependence on him and ask him for our needs. But before we appreciate that depth, that we can't know him. Well, the more we attempt to know him, the better we'll appreciate how we can't know him intellectually. So let's appreciate what we can know. That's this first part of prayer. That's the Pesuke Dizim. That's the verses of praise. Our sages say in the Talmud, where you find the greatness of God, what you really see is his, him being humble. He's not showing you the full thing. I remember when I was... Um, going for my education and marriage and family therapy. We were taking an ethics class. 
And they said, one of the things that you have to really be careful of when counseling someone is not to make life judgment. In the meantime, until we appreciate that, we can appreciate what we do see. We can open our eyes to what we do see. And that's what all these prayers are going to do. Appreciate the goodness that God does give and what we do experience. Let's scroll down toward the bottom of the prayer. Of, of the prayer. Four lines from the bottom of, of, of the Baruch Amar. So if you go to that paragraph, go to the bottom, count four lines up by the period in the middle of the line. When I was growing up, there was an older version of the sitter that I still use, actually. The older version has the older pages. And um, it's, it's less user-friendly. It doesn't have as many instructions. And you have to flip back for this and flip forward for this. <laughs> and it's, but I, I grew up with it, so I love it. But when I was younger the, and we were in school, the sitter actually had, um, each line was numbered. If we had that here, it would have made it easier. But anyways, four lines from the bottom. You are the only one. I'm going to read in the Hebrew. Actually, I'm good. Yeah, go, go three lines from the bottom in the Hebrew. Because I like the Hebrew better. Right by the period. Yachid. You are Yachid. What is Yachid? You are the only one. Is that true, by the way? What about me? I'm here. <laughs> what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> right, okay. You have to learn Tanya. And you can refer back to our Tanya classes, chapters 20, um, 20 to 24, basically, to 25. But in essence, God is the only one because he is... Where did everything come from? Everything's a part of him. If he's the only one, then what gives life to existence? What gives space to existence? And the answer is, there's a comma there for a reason. The comma is very intentional. The life of the worlds is the fact that you are the king. That's what gives the world life. What is a king? It's an occupation. When we see you as a creator, that's not who you are. That's what you do. Your occupation is king. But that's not who you are. Right now during Elul, we, uh, king is in the field. We get to know who, you, who he is. We have an opportunity to know who you are. But God is, who he is, is way beyond that. And as we unpack prayer, as we, we go through the davening, we're going to get to know who he is. Right now, we're still conceding to who he is. We're getting to know what he does. That's the Pesuke di Zimra. Again, the, the beginning of concession, the beginning part of prayer, is just conceding to, I don't know anything. <laughs> I just know I'm Jewish. I concede. Now we're conceding to what he does, or understanding what he does, and thereby conceding that there's something deeper than that. Yachid, he is by himself, that comma. The life of the world is the fact that he's a king. By the way, what is a king? A king means there is independence between him and his people if you noticed earlier in the prayer go one two three four five six seven lines from the from the bottom so halfway through i'm sorry that i'm using the hebrew it's just it's i think it's better see it where it says baruch Hashem, blessed are you lord 
Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, our God, King of the Universe. Hakel, you are the Mighty One, you are our God. Avarachaman, you are a merciful Father. First, we refer to God as a merciful Father. Now we scroll down and he said, yeah, but the life of the world, what gives the world existence is the fact that you're a king. Avinu Malkeinu, right? He's our father and he's our king. Well, which one? It depends on the context of the relationship. A father connection is a very close connection. A child is a piece of their parent and carries over the same qualities as their parents. A nation-king relationship is very distant. Imagine a father had many, many, many children. It's not a kingdom. He's not going to be their king. He's still their father. A king, in order for a king to be a real king, can't be friends with him either. You got to be, there's there's a level, there's a, there's, a, there's a space, there's distance, there's independence. The fact that the world exists is because God created this illusion of independence. This is how Kabbalah understands this. We call this tzimtzum, right? God hiding himself. But the true reality of existence is Yachid. He's way beyond what we see. He's way beyond that. Take a look at the next line. Second to last line in the Hebrew. Meshubach. From the word like Ishtabach, he's praiseworthy. Umafo'ar, he is glorified. Or lauded. No, that's a different word. Okay. Adeyad. <laughs> Forever and ever. Shemohagadl. Until his great name. In English, it's praised and glorified. It is his great name forever and ever. But let's stick to the Hebrew for a second. You'll soon see why. The English, they, they switch it around so it makes grammatical sense. Meshubach mafar, he's praised and glorified. Adead. To what extent? Shmohagadl, his great name. The most you, again, what's a name? Name is how you relate to someone. If they were by themselves on an island, nobody else there, they wouldn't need a name. Name is for someone else to identify. God has so many different names because there's so many different ways to identify him. There's so many ways for us to relate to him. Do we relate to him as a king? Do we relate to him as a father? Do we relate, do we relate to him as a judge, as a spouse? One of my favorite prayers on Yom Kippur is the Ki Anu Amecha. Ki Anu Amecha Malkeinu. Right? We go through 18, uh, 17, 18 different relationships. You are a king. We are your nation. You are our father. We are your child. You are a shepherd. We are your flock. There's different contexts of the relationship. All those are perceptual. How do you perceive this relationship? That's what a name is. How much can we praise God? Well, to the extent that we understand his great name, to the extent that we relate to him. We're conceding that eventually we're going to connect not only to how we relate to him, we're going to connect to him. To him himself. We haven't gotten there yet. Let's first appreciate to the fullest how we relate to him. And then we can appreciate, wait, that's not him. Let's connect to him. Let, let me put it this way. What percentage of God can your mind understand? 
none, zero, right? We can understand what God does. We can understand his benevolence. But what percentage of God can your mind understand zero? What percentage of your mind should be occupied in understanding God? 100%. You see the difference? Okay. So the Pesukah, the Zimmer, the verses of praise, is where we occupy in our mind with trying to understand God, appreciate God. It's only afterward with the Shema, and even more so with the Shemona Esrei, with the Amida, where we realize, well, while my mind is occupied with trying to appreciate Him, He's unattainable by knowledge. He's only attainable through the soul. All that bitl. We'll end off with a quick story, because as we said tonight, is Chai Elo, the 18th of Elo, the birthday of Rabbi Shinozaman of Liadi. And he was once seen in a spiritual meditative trance in general, when he would pray, he was known to be very fire. He had like a real fire. I wonder, like, why does that spark need to be fanned? It's like, it's out there, man. <laughs> and he would look up and he'd say, God, I don't want anything but you. I don't want your heavens. I don't want paradise. I just want you. Very romantic. He saw God as a real, as a, you know, as King Solomon describes, as a, as a spouse. I don't want your heavens. Which heaven is an experience. Forget the experience. That's just your name. Paradise. Perhaps an even greater experience. Olam haba, gan eden, right? I want you. Okay, right now we're learning about what the experience is so we can later on want you. That's my story and I'm sticking to it.